Hello, it's another great day to be alive. I want to greet each and every one of you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to welcome you to TNT as far as our Bible study is concerned. And we thank God for each and every one of you who may be logging on, joining us as far as our virtual, digital, digital, technological space is concerned. We thank God that the Lord has laid upon your heart uh, to join us at this particular moment. And so as we make preparations to share with you what the Lord has laid on our heart as far as this time of study is concerned, we hope and pray that it will infiltrate your spirit and to help you to become a better disciple for Jesus Christ. And, or if you don't know who Jesus Christ is and the pardon of your sin, to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and then ultimately to live for him. So before we get started, we could let's bow heads for a word of prayer as we sense and seek the teachings of what I consider to be the master rabbi, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> God, we come and we thank you so much for you allowing us to see this day, a day we've never seen before and a day we shall never see again. God, we pray right now that you, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, will teach us your precepts, let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Show yourself mighty and strong, O God, in this moment of teaching. And it is my hope and prayer that uh, you will open the hearts, the eyes, and the ears of those who hear, see, and receive this lesson so that we can apply it to our lives and become better. In Jesus' name we do pray, amen. Amen. Before I share with you the scripture that I want to come from, <clears throat> let me, if I could, ask you a couple of questions. Who taught you how to ride a bike? I remember it was my mother's first husband, Raymond Scott, who taught me how to ride a bike. Uh, he uh, put me on a bike, and he would get behind me and hold the seat and the handlebar, and he would tell me to paddle. And as I pedaled, he was pushing me. And then the next thing I know, he let me go, and I was riding the bike. And I was shaking, but I was riding that bike. And I thought he was still pushing me on the seat. And then when I looked behind, I saw he wasn't, and then I fell down. But I got back up and started pedaling again. He taught me how to ride a bike. Who taught you math? Who was your favorite teacher in school? Oh, I remember um, mine. I remember from elementary, it was Mrs. Peters, uh, first grade teacher. I remember in uh, middle school, it was Miss Dot Lewis who taught me math. She was my homeroom teacher and of course, uh, Miss Evelyn Bridges, who taught science. I remember when I got to what is called junior high back in Mississippi, I remember that it was Miss Middlebrooks who taught my mother and my father math, and Mr. Silas Lewis who taught science, and Miss Douglas and who taught algebra. And then in high school for me, it was Miss Reynolds who taught math, it was Mr. Menno who taught me English and was my forensics coach, and Mr. Brown who taught history. I, I, I remember those teachers from high school. Uh, who was your pastor that inculcated the first understandings of God? Who were your friends? He, here's the reason that I, I, I bring all of this up, because all of us in some shape, form, or fashion have been um, formed by the teachings of others. Uh, they have opened our eyes. They uh, gave us great wisdom. Uh, they gave us words of encouragement. They broadened our horizons. Uh, they filled our minds. We, we benefited from their wisdom, from their experiences, and from the ex their expertise. And this is why in today's age and time, particularly with the internet, this is what makes false teachers so dangerous. They're even more dangerous now 
than they were 10, 15, 30, 40, even 50 years ago. They're so dangerous. Misusing their privileged position and oftentimes giving false information, they prey on unsuspecting people and lead a whole lot of folks astray. Of course, we remember the David Koresh's and the Jim Jones, but particularly in the African-American community, we have false teachers who infiltrate the church and because we're not grounded in what we believe, can throw a little scripture here and a little scripture there and mess us up. False teachers like those who practice uh, Hebrew or black Israelites, um, those who are part of the nation of Islam, uh, those who are part of what is called the five percenters and the three percenters, and unfortunately, our children, when they leave your house and they either go off to college or get into the workforce and they are exposed to these types of teachings, because they may not necessarily be grounded in their faith and their doctrine, it sounds good. They sprinkle a little God or Jesus in it, and the next thing you know, they're gone and they're lost, and they've fallen prey to false teaching. And so I, I say this because I think that it's very important, uh, and this is why I focus so much on teaching as far as Bible study is concerned, but even when I preach, I am trying to do some teaching as well, that in my preaching, I'm very intentional about giving you doctrinal truths that hold sway and are connected to the historical teachings of the church. Now, I say all this because it's very important for us to understand that Christianity is not the white man's religion. And anytime you hear anyone say that Christianity is the white man's religion, there are two things. Number one, they are totally unaware of their own history and heritage because they fail to understand that Christianity's doctrines and beginnings are connected to Africa. It's connected to Africa, not Europe. The second thing that they need to understand is that, interestingly, even when Constantine made Christianity a religion of the Roman Empire, that the historical teachings were still developed within the locus of Africa. And so it's very important that when you hear people say that Christianity is a white man's religion, they may be speaking of the fact that when Europeans brought our ancestors to these shores, how they took Christianity, corrupted it, and used it to justify slavery. And as a matter of fact, how they're corrupting it even today, using it to justify the big lie. So this is why false teachers are so dangerous. And this is why you got to know why you believe what you believe. And so what I want to do is over the next several weeks is to expound upon what it is that God will have for us to do when it comes to dealing with false teachers in the church. Now, this is why it's important to know where your source is. And this is how those of us that teach the gospel, that preach the gospel, that share the gospel, we got to warn against those who would twist the truth and lead believers astray. I would dare say that in 2021, we have a whole lot of different syncretistic religions that have infiltrated society and have basically led a lot of our people, some young and old, astray. So we're going to be studying 2 Peter over the next several weeks. Um, 2 Peter comes after 1 Peter. I just finished up the chapter on first, I mean the teachings on 1 Peter. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be dealing with 2 Peter. And 2 Peter is written to strengthen the church, to resist the internal challenges of their faith, to warn them of false teachers 
because the false teachers denied the deity as well as the humanity of Christ, that people who scoff the return of Jesus Christ, and, and, and Peter is writing to warn the believers to keep their focus on Jesus. We, we do live in 2021 in a world that is filled with cults and religious scammers and other people who would lead uh, Christians astray. That there are perhaps anywhere between uh, 15 to 20,000 different cults worldwide. And some of those cults have even infiltrated local churches. So as we prepare to navigate over the next several weeks, Second Peter, I want you to grow in your faith and I want you to reject false teaching. And I would dare say that some of those false teachings are so intricately connected even to some of what I would call the traditional African traditional religions. Not the African traditional religions that have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, but even African traditional religions that may be rooted in things in which the Bible calls witchcraft. I know for some folks that's going to make you upset because you're going around burning sage thinking that you got to empty your house by burning sage and the Bible has nothing to do with that. So, again, this goes back to false teaching. This goes back to you uh, gaining some insights because somebody threw Jesus' name in it and it sounds good to you and you think that's all cool. So, I'm going to, over the next several weeks, dispel some things because Jesus did not come here for us to operate and try to syncretize superstitions with Christianity. That is not how this works. <laughs> yep, I know. I'm getting ready to mess with some of y'all. You're talking about I'm praying to the ancestors. You, ain't, you don't need to be praying to your ancestors because your ancestors ain't got no power to deliver you from sin. Your ancestors did not die to save you from your sins. We ought to pray, be praying to God, not trying to get advices from our ancestors. Again, syncretistic religion. So we got to be careful. So I know, I know, I know, I know some of you all are, are, are probably uh, putting mad faces on right now, but I'm called to teach you the truth. And here's the other blessing too. If at times I don't offend you because I teach you the truth and you're doing something cray-cray, then God's going to hold me responsible for that. So let's get started <laughs> as far as the word of God is concerned because whatever I'm going to teach you, I'm going to connect it to the word of God and I want you to know that what thus says the Lord. So 2 Peter chapter 1, hopefully, I don't know if I'll be able to get through all this today, but hopefully I can get us through um, uh, verses 1 through 11. Hopefully, I can get us through verses 1 through 11. But before I get started, uh, I want to ask for those that are watching, if you have any question right now, put it in the chat. Deborah will read it to me. Uh, if what I just said to you struck a nerve or piqued your curiosity or you want to raise a question, put it in the chat right now, uh, right now, right now. And I, I, I want to see if, if, if I can answer that before we move on. So, um, if you would turn to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to unpack this for you. But before we do that, I'm going to ask Deb, do we have any questions in the chat? Okay. All right. Since we don't have any questions that are in the chat, um, we're going to go ahead and get started, and let's go ahead and start marking up um, our Bibles. Starting with the reading of, of, of the scripture, verse 1, Simon Peter, double under, uh, underline Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, highlight bondservant and apostle, to those who have attained like precious faith, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to highlight that whole verse, and then I want you to underline 
uh, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's an interesting statement right there uh, when Peter writes our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Highlight that phrase. In the knowledge, circle the word knowledge, of God and of, our, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Underline his divine power has given to us all things that, are, that pertain to life and godliness. Underline all of that. Through the knowledge, circle the word knowledge, and draw a line from the word knowledge in verse 3 to the word knowledge in verse 2. To the knowledge of him who has called us by glory, highlight the word glory and virtue, highlight the word virtue. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. If you would, highlight the phrase great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 reads, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. I want you to highlight verses 5 through 7. This is so rich. Highlight verses 5 through 7. And in verse 5, I want you to underline the word add. I want you to underline the word add. Verse 8, for these things are yours and abound that you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Underline the phrase barren nor unfruitful. In the, the knowledge, circle the word knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Circle the word knowledge in verse 8. Draw a line to knowledge in verse 3. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted circle the word short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he is cleansed from his old sins. Highlight the phrase, he is, was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. I want you to highlight that phrase in verse 10. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Circle the word stumble. Verse 11, for so an interest will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right. Got a lot of, of, of things that I want to unpack. It looked like I have a question before we get started. Yes. I'm Ms. Karen from YouTube. Wants to know, is God a man or a woman? Neither. Yeah, yeah neither. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We just put what we call... Um, human or anthropomorphic terms on God. Jesus refers to God as Father, uh, but there are also different biblical references where Jesus is referred to as Mother. But Jesus, but, but God is not a man or a woman like us as far as human form is concerned. Okay. Any other questions before we move on? All right. So let's, let's look at un, and, uh, unpacking this. In verse 1, it starts off by saying, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. 
And I ask you to circle Simon Peter because this is the same Simon Peter who was a disciple of Jesus Christ and became really the leader of the apostles in the early church. This is the same Simon Peter who denied Jesus three times before he was crucified. This is the same uh, Simon Peter who on the day of Pentecost preached with such vim and vigor that 3,000 people joined the church. So the, the, the word Peter comes from the word patros, uh, which means stone or rock. And this is the same Peter who really admitted to Jesus being the son of the living God. Jesus changed Peter's name from Simon to Peter because what Jesus wanted to do was to show that he is seeing the character change that is taking place. Peter was really one of Jesus's closest disciples. Peter, along with James and John, were the three that were very close to Jesus. And, and oftentimes, Peter was the spokesperson for the disciples, oftentimes known to put his foot in his mouth. Um, but also, the early church is keenly aware of who Peter was, even his faults when he denied Jesus Christ as um, uh, denied knowing who Jesus Christ is. Now, the reason that I want to take my time with introducing this to you is because there are several different theories as far as who wrote Second Peter. And oftentimes, uh, the apostles had their, quote, secretaries to write letters on their behalf. So in First Peter, you may see a, a different writing style from Second Peter. And scholars believe that one secretary wrote First Peter for the Apostle Peter, and another secretary wrote Second Peter for the Apostle Peter. Okay? So um, uh, it's the same Peter, but there may be different writers or scribes who wrote these letters as far as the early church is concerned. So that's why you may see between 1 Peter and 2 Peter some differentiation as far as the writing style is concerned. Now, I, I say that because I think that oftentimes when we talk about the Bible and we talk about how sometimes it seems like the Bible contradicts itself, it's not necessarily a contradiction more so than it is you have different people who may be looking at the same thing but writing from a different perspective. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's contradictory more so than it is a presentation of a different point of view. Now I think that's very important because when it comes to biblical interpretation, if you don't know how to interpret the Bible properly, you will interpret it wrongly and you will come up with a false doctrine. So it's very important for, for us to say that. Now, let's look at what Simon Peter refers to himself being. First of all, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and it is interesting to note that in this particular venture, we see that Peter refers to himself as being a servant first and an apostle second. He doesn't put an apostle first and servant second. He considers himself to be a servant first and an apostle second. Now, it's very important for you to understand that servant in this text is the word doulas. Doulas is a slave, one who gives up his will to do the will of the master. So Peter wants us to understand that he is totally sold out for Jesus. He is subjected to Jesus. He belongs to Jesus. But he is also an apostle. And back then, an apostle was one that was sent on a mission as an ambassador. And back then, those who were apostles were considered to be those persons who had an interaction with the resurrected Savior in person. Okay? So he's considered to be an apostle. All right? And uh, Peter is considered to be really 
the chief apostle, particularly among all the apostles, as far as that time is concerned. Now, it is interesting to note that we see this name Simon Peter because it is a uh, joining of both Greek and Hebrew names just to indicate the fact that Peter is probably dealing with both Greek and Hebrew Jews or those persons who are of um, uh, the diaspora who are listening to the gospel that is being shared. So Peter knows, listen, I have a commission by God through Jesus Christ to share this gospel to the whole world. So let's un un unpack this. Let's unpack this in a very beautiful way. Because in verse 1 in the B clause, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want to unpack this in a very meaningful, powerful way because uh, this passage here, this B clause here, is, is very important as far as you really appreciating what Peter is trying to get, ac get across. Uh, Peters want folks to understand that as we share this gospel of Jesus Christ throughout all of the world, that those who did not see Jesus in the flesh, their faith is on equal footing with those who did. All right? Um, he wanted to remove the concern that just because all, uh, quite a few of the apostles had died, that Christianity would continue to go on. Why? Because every believer who had received a faith as precious as the apostles' faith received it from the same source, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is very important, and this is where I'm trying to, I want to make this link uh, uh, for, for all of us as far as this uh, moment of teaching is concerned because if you don't get anything else, I, I, I want you to really get and I really want you to appreciate what I'm getting ready to drop on you as far as this, this moment is concerned. Peter is really trying to convey in a very meaningful and masterful way that those who are second and third generation followers of Jesus Christ have no less faith or inferior faith than those who walk with Jesus. Now, if you don't get anything else, I really want you to get this because this is where the rubber hits the road. Um, there, 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 there's, there's some folks, and this is where the false teaching has a way of infiltrating the church. There, there were some folks who thought their faith was inferior, and, and, and it's not the faith as far as belief, but rather the faith of trusting in God. And, and Peter was letting them know, your faith is just as much valid as my faith and I walked with Jesus for three years that, that your faith is just as precious just as precious and just as sure and just as valid as my faith in other words uh, both the apostle and those who are getting this letter have equal access to Jesus Christ that we have been exposed to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and notice how he refers to Jesus Christ as far as this, this rendering is concerned. He refers to Jesus Christ as our God and Savior. 
All right, that is a Christological claim. What is Christological? That's, that's, that, that is dealing with what we call the doctrine of who Jesus Christ is. So Peter's theology, we see it very apparent right here. Peter's theology identifies God the Father and God the Son as really being one. Okay? All right, now... This word precious in, in, in this text is, is, is very important because it really talks about how the faith given by God to both the apostles and to the ones who receive this letter is on the same level. In other words, the apostles' faith as well as the reader's faith, the apostle's faith is not higher than the reader's faith or not any better than the reader's faith or any different than the faith of any believers. And, and, and let me tell you why this is important. This is important because you had Gnostics, and Gnostics basically is, 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 is a, an interesting word for secret knowledge. You, you had false teachers who believe that to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit was some special knowledge that only could be attained by a privileged few. And Peter is like, no, that ain't how this works. That is not how this goes down. Um, all of us have access to the same God, the same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit, and we have access to the same saving knowledge. In other words, you, you don't have to uh, 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 tarry or anything like that to get some special impartation as far as this special knowledge is concerned. Now, I think that this is very important. This is very important because a lot of folks think that... Um, well, you know, uh, if you really want to have this special knowledge, uh, you got to go to seminary, things like that. No, this is not talking about understanding. This is talking about, watch this, relationship. And it's predicated upon the righteousness or the justice of God. Let, let me, if I could, uh, take us a little deeper. Notice he says in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Grace, God's unmerited favor, God's undeserved favor that is given to us. As a matter of fact, that's how we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The aspect of peace, as far as this text is concerned, um, really is an understanding of the reconciliation that has been done because of Christ's death on the cross that allows for sinners to be reconciled to God. Okay? So, what we see here, as far as this rendering is concerned, is that both God's unmerited favor and reconciliation to our God is to be multiplied in a major way because of God and Jesus Christ. How is that to happen? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and, and that word uh, knowledge um, really is to know. And basically, uh, it is an understanding of a deep, thorough, intimate connection with God through Jesus Christ. So by knowing Christ, as we become Christians, we begin the process of receiving the grace of God and the peace of God through Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We begin to receive the grace of God 
and the peace of God through Jesus Christ. This comes by knowing Jesus Christ. Peter was very concerned because he wanted believers to remain steadfast. He wanted them to have sound doctrine. He wanted them to have a good understanding. And, 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 and this is the point I want to drive home. Only knowledge of God and Jesus as Lord could help them to remain faithful and secure when false teaching comes along. All right? The reason that many people fall, fall away or lose it when they are exposed to false teaching is because they don't continue to grow in knowledge. Oh, I'm getting ready to have fun with y'all now. Because the knowledge in this text is not static or it doesn't remain the same. It is dynamic. That means that it is growing. It is uh, uh, challenging. That the knowledge must lead. And if you'll get anything else, get this today. That the more you know about God, the more you know about Jesus Christ, it ought to change your behavior. It ought to change your behavior. Let me say that again. The more you know about God, the more you know about Jesus, it ought to change your behavior. All right? Because the word knowledge implies an intimate and personal relationship. And, 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 and when you are close to God, and the closer you get to God, your life ought to reflect that. Now, let me throw this out there as a caveat, because unfortunately, some churches uh, lends itself to people not growing as far as their knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, some, some churches stifle that growth uh, because the first time somebody raises a serious question, um, someone who, who, who ain't growing anymore think that it's a sign of apostasy. For, for example, um, uh, someone who raises a question about rules of the church or why we do so and so, uh, then you have somebody who's been there for a long time who hasn't changed much, talk about, oh, uh, you, you don't, you know, you're not being pietistic, you're not living a holy life, a holy life. Holiness leads to godliness. And, 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 and let me drop this on you. Holiness does not lead to godliness. Godliness leads to holiness. Uh, yeah, I just burned that one up. Holiness does not, because you, you can't be holy without God. So it's godliness that leads to holiness, but that's a whole nother, whole nother. Here, here, here's what I want you to understand about, about your faith. Your faith is not static or unchanging. Precious faith wrestles with doctrines. And precious faith questions, methods, and rules and continues to love on people in the church who are worried about what's going on. Precious faith respects traditions, okay, while it seeks to change traditionalism. Precious faith yearns to be close to Jesus Christ. Precious faith makes sure that you're growing in some shape, form, or fashion. It is not static. In other words, the more you learn about God through Jesus Christ, the more you should be growing and the more you ought to reflect that. I keep trying to tell folks, and, and some, some folks don't believe me, God can handle any question you bring God's way. God is not intimidated by your questions. Okay? God's not. Just like the, 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 uh, in the book of Job, Job, when he was suffering, had a whole lot of questions for God. And um, uh, he does not get a response until Job chapter 38. So, so God does not 
and is not intimidated by your questions. But your questions ought to be leading to a deeper belief in God and that deeper belief in God ought to be translated into more godly behavior. In other words, you don't get, here's what I want you to know. There's a difference between having knowledge and having information. And I contend that a lot of folks in church got information, but they ain't got knowledge. They got data about God through Jesus Christ, but they ain't got knowledge about God because there's been no change in their behavior. All right? So you got to move from this idea of, 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 of data or information to really embracing knowledge. And, and, and notice in the text, it doesn't say information. It says knowledge. It says knowledge. Now watch this. Knowledge as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue. Put your kickstand down right there. God, this is where it's going to get real fun. All right? God's divine power. Jesus' divine power. This is the power that God has shared with Jesus. This is the power well-known believe, to believers because this is the same divine power power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the same divine power that was showered upon the 120 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. This is the same divine power that allowed for those 120 to speak in the language where 3,000 people heard the gospel being expressed in their word and they said, what must we do to be saved? This is the same divine power that allowed for the apostles to go about healing and acting and behaving like Jesus. This power, this power is available to all. Now, this is what you got to understand. Christ gives this power to us so that we can live for him. So that we can live like he lived so that we can conform to the image and the likeness of God. Notice what it says. I, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to, watch this, life and godliness. This life, this earthly life, and godliness. All right, let, let, let me see if I can, if I can help you. Because guess what? It ain't referring to eternal life because you don't need godliness when you die. <laughs> All right, it's talking about this life. And, and the power to grow is not based upon us. It does not come from within us. It comes from God. Because we ain't got the power or the capacity to live the way God would have for us to live without God. All right? in, in other words, in other words, all right, let me see, let me see, let me see if, I can, if I can connect the dots for us. There were Greeks who lived a moral life, but it wasn't necessarily a godly life. All right? And what we got to understand is that godliness does not equal morality. Ooh. Because there are a lot of atheists that are good people. Teacher Robert Charles Scott, but they ain't godly. Let me say it again. There's some atheists, very moral, good folk. As a matter of fact, I hate to admit, some atheists may treat you better than folks in the church. As my good friend would say, say amen, somebody. 
There's some atheists that will treat you better than folks in the church, but that doesn't mean that they're godly. Oh, I wish I could make this plain. All right? Because godliness means that not only am I living a moral life, but I'm honoring God in my morality. God gives us the ability to live for him, to keep us from sinning. That comes by the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot live for God without God. I'm trying to help somebody. You, you, listen, if you could have, you would have done this a long time ago. If, 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 if you could do what the Lord wanted you to do, you could have done that. That's why Jesus says you must be what? Born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. More or not, when I say it to you, you must be what? born again when you're born again by God his spirit empowers us to live for him did you not know that there are atheists that have information about God but that doesn't necessarily mean they are of God I'm, I'm not referring, when I talk about the knowledge of God, I'm not referring to, again, information or data. What I'm referring to is a personal, life-changing, eye-opening, dynamic, redemptive, liberating relationship with the true, real God. This is what knowledge of God is all about. Now notice I did not say knowledge with the universe. Oh God, you know, and some 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 church folks, there are two things we need to stop doing in the church. I know, I know, here I go with this syncretistic. I gotta blow y'all syncretism up. Stop referring to God as the universe. Stop referring. I'm putting this out in the universe. Stop that. That's syncretism. And we as Christians don't believe in karma. That's Buddhism. Stop the syncretism. Stop saying, if you're a Christian, stop using the word karma. That's syncretism. That's you borrowing from Buddhism trying to connect it to Christianity. Stop it. Stop it. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get you to, 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 to do this thing right if you're going to do it. So this knowledge aspect really is a gift. It's, it's not a lecture. It is a gift. And what's at the center of that knowledge? That Jesus Christ has come to fulfill the covenantal promises of God given to the patriarchs and matriarchs that is then extended to all of the world. Here it is. The most important prayer that you can ever pray is that you want Christ to be the center of your life to lead you to a deeper understanding of who God is by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I knew I wasn't going to get through with this. Ah, all right. Let me see if I can get us to verse 4, and then we'll be done for today. So, not only do we as believers have grace and knowledge, grace and peace through the knowledge of God, but we got the power. And, 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 and that power, oh God, this is good stuff. That power ought to attract people to Jesus. Not you, but to Jesus. 
okay? Not you, but to Jesus. That, that this intimate knowledge of Christ ought to cause you to live in such a way that people see how you live, they start having conversation with you, and when done rightly, you don't put the, the spotlight on you, you put it on God through Jesus Christ. Because notice what, no, no, notice this language that, that Peter uses. He talks about glory and virtue. Now, the word virtue is not a word that is used among the Hebrews. This is more of a Greek word. Okay? This is more of a, of a Greek word, virtue, um, uh, which really is, is, is translated to moral excellence or, or uh, moral goodness, all right? Verse 4, and, and I'll, I'll end with verse 4 for today. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promise um, that through you, that, that through that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Um, here is Peter making a connection back to verse 3 when he talks about that has been given. That means that you have now been endowed with a very precious promise that we now as believers we participate in the very divine nature of God that we participate in the goodness of God or the virtue of God or the moral excellence of God as far as this life is concerned um, in, in other words after we, you and I have been born again of the spirit we begin to now gain an understanding of what is promised to us as benefactors or as children beneficiaries rather of God or as children of God or as heirs to the kingdom of God and, and, and this is what I want you to understand it's not a one time thing and it doesn't all happen at once it happens over a period of time all right. That as we grow, we gain greater understanding and access into what it means to live like God. And, and here is what Peter really wants to drive home. Because Peter is saying that as you and I participate in the divine nature of God, it causes us not to act like the world. All right. It causes us not to act like the world. Now, now let me drive this home so I, can, so I can end this. The reason that Peter is, is, is driving this point home because he is using these key terms to speak against the false teachers and is using their words to flip the argument on their head. Um, because many of the false teachers at that time emphasized this Gnosticism. And again, Gnostic is knowledge. And, and they believe you got to have a special secret knowledge of, of God. And, and it undermined the early church uh, in, in a few ways. First of all, it, it insisted that this secret knowledge was not accessible to most believers. It taught that the body was evil, and it also taught that Jesus Christ was not human. He just looked like a human. All right? Okay? That, that's very important for you to know that. Now, these false teachers were talking about this secret knowledge. Peter was letting them know, you can know who God is for yourself. Ain't no secret knowledge. It, it, it ain't no secret knowledge. See, the, 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 the pagans w w went back and forth over goodness and godliness, 
And they figured that goodness and godliness were impossible. But Peter was saying, you can be good and you can live a godly, holy life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Peter is using their language to explain that all their conclusions were incorrect. That you and I escape the corruption of the world and partake into the very divine nature of God as a gift because Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. That's what makes this possible. So that basically means that we no longer have to succumb to our fleshly desires and to sin that we do have the capacity to fight against it and to battle it. Watch this as we grow in the knowledge of who God is and that concept of knowledge denotes a level of intimacy. I'm going to stop right there for this time um, because I could tell you right now that when we pick up on verse 5 through verse 11 next week Y'all thought this was something? You ain't seen nothing yet. So I want to encourage you to come and join us next week. We'll pick up on verse 5. Amen. It is my hope and prayer before I close out. um, If you have any questions as far as um, this time is concerned, I give you the the space to to ask your question. I think uh, I'm seeing one coming across. Yes. That ain't true. That ain't true. Yeah. Yeah, that's not true. Even Jesus asked God a question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Jesus even asked God, Father, if it's possible, can you take this cup away from me? So if Jesus questioned God at times, what about you and me? Yeah. So, again, that's a false doctrine. Okay? That's a false doctrine. And I'm here to dispel false doctrines as far as the body of Christ is concerned. All right. Well, um, we're, we're getting ready to, to, to close out this moment, and I want to encourage you. And First of all, I want to thank you for the blessing that you all have done as far as giving to the St. Paul Church and uh, Uh, Each time that we gather in in a large gathering like this, we give you the opportunity to be more like God, and that is through giving. Giving is part of worship. It's part of teaching as well, and I want to encourage you that if you feel led to give right now, there are three ways you can give here at St. Paul. The first first way, you can uh, bring your check of money order to the church. Uh, You can drop it off here at church. Just call to make sure someone is here to receive your offering. We'll place it in the safe and make sure it's counted the um, following Sunday. Call the church at 704-334-5309. The second way you can give is by mailing your check or or money order uh, to the church at um, 1401 Allen Street, Charlotte, 28205. Uh, Another way you can give is through our website, through either ACS or Church Life. And then the final way you can give is through the app called Givelify. And if you don't have that app on your smart device, you can download it to your smart device, connect it to your favorite credit card, and in three clicks, you can give. And so at this time, if you feel led to give, I want to encourage you to do that because your giving does a lot to help us to be a blessing to a lot of people in our city, in our community, in this state, and in the world. Your giving um, feeds people, uh, provides clothing, uh, provides water for people all the way in Kenya. Uh, Your giving uh, makes a a radical difference as far as the world is concerned. And your giving also helps with uh, renovation, repair, and upkeep here at the church. So uh, if you feel led to give, we, we give you that opportunity to do that right now. I hope and pray that you will enjoy uh, the rest of this day. Uh, I hope and pray that you will join, uh, for particularly our women, uh, that you will join the women of Word as far as uh, prayer call is concerned tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. You go to the website and find out that Zoom Saturday as far as their, the First Lady's Tea 
uh, as well as Sunday morning with our guest preacher, the Reverend Dr. Susan Johnson Cook, better known as Dr. Sujay. Uh, she's a former ambassador on under President Barack Obama's for International Religious Affairs. Um, and I'm certainly delighted and elated that she will be here with us live this weekend. So uh, go to the website, check out that particularly for our sisters, uh, and we pray that you will uh, be blessed as far as the rest of this day and this weekend is concerned. God bless and take care.